Good morning. Let's stand together and worship. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Oh, we shout out your praise.
you can have a seat. Well, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship. My name is Abel, and this is my teammate Stephanie, and we are glad to be with you all this morning. Special welcome to those of you who are new. We are glad you're here. We would love to get connected with you. Um, this morning, we get the joy of celebrating baptism, and yeah, and shortly, we will have someone, yeah, here they come, here they come. This is Ruby Eisenbeiss, and she will be baptized by her dad, Greg, and I've had the privilege of knowing Ruby since she was two, and it's been fun to see you grow, Ruby, and excited to see you profess your faith this morning. So, Greg, take it away, my friend. All right. Welcome. If there's any special guests that we invited to come celebrate Ruby, you're welcome to come up and surround <laughs> this, uh, this area. There's quite a few here. If you want to come up, you can. If you want to stay there, that's awesome also. So cool. All right, we got it. So welcome. I want to introduce my daughter, Ruby Faith Eisenbeiss. This is my wife, Katina, my other daughter, Kate, and Lila, and Elliot, and then our local Arkansas family here, and our community group here, and many of Ruby's friends that have an impact in her life here. Looks like the, the crew from over there came. Uh, so we're here to just celebrate Ruby's um, expression of faith to everybody. So early on, um, Ruby, after she, after she was born and we started getting into the school, uh, school days, um, as Katina was dropping the kids off for, for pre-K, pre uh, there were just early signs that Ruby was, you know, built for pursuing this faith. And she would, there was this chapel in this church where the preschool was, and every time they walked past, to and from, Ruby would go like this to, to Katina, because uh, uh, she couldn't talk and implying she wanted to go in and say a prayer each time they passed that chapel. And then as she got older, uh, in her more recent school days, uh, she's had several opportunities to express her faith and share things about her church. She had the courage to do those things. And then uh, more recently, she's really pursued Katina and I really hard to get uh, baptized. And that manifested itself in terms of prayers every meal, it was always a request to get baptized. It was uh, during our individual prayer time with them at night, um, and she always never missed an opportunity to say, can I pray now? And she would always own that faith and take that into her hands and do it. And then we just, you know, took that under our wing, and we started working towards the baptism. She read the, her whole storybook Bible once and is doing it again because she can read better and wants to understand what she read the first time a little better, and just continues to exhibit this strong desire to pursue faith and live that way. And so, Ruby, you ready? Ruby, do you believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life? Yes. Ruby, as you're... As your father, I'm blessed 
to be able to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is awesome. Well, as half the church finds the seat, um, we we have a few things a few things to share with y'all. Well, good morning. As you can tell on the screen, um, summer's wrapping up. Kids are back in school, so that means it's fall ministry launch season around here. So we have community groups that are starting back this week. I'm excited to be with my people at community group tonight. We have community groups that meet all different days of the week and different times, and if you're not a part of a community group and you would like to be, you can see us out at the community booth, and we can get you going on the next steps to get in a group. Um, Abel, yeah, what else? Uh, along with uh, our in-home small groups, we have men's small groups that will meet uh, every Wednesday throughout the, the rest of the school year um, in the other building, across the courtyard, upstairs in the great room. Every Wednesday morning, so come join us. It is a great group of men in there. Uh, it's kind of a large group, small group format. So someone shares their story, what God's done in their in their lives uh, for the first 15, 20 minutes, and then we break into small groups and discuss a passage of scripture. So real simple um, for guys. So great. Well, so for the women, um, since that's my area of ministry, I'm going to take just a minute and tell you about it. This sheet right here, which is available in the foyer at the community booth, has a list of all of the women's opportunities to plug into small groups. So if you aren't registered, it's not too late. We start this week, so you can go on the website. It's there, too, on the women's opportunity page or grab one of these sheets when you leave. But let me just tell you a couple of things. We have amazing women in this body that are leading these women's small groups, and they are excited to have you come join. There are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning opportunities for women. We have a Tuesday lunchtime study that meets from 1130 to 1230, so if you just need to slip out of the office for one hour, and they are really sharp on the time, so you can get in and out in an hour, that's available. We have four evening studies um, that are available on Tuesday evenings. And the last thing I want to tell you about is Just Moved, and that is a ministry for people that have just literally moved. And I've met a lot of you out here that have it's a moved. a great name. <laughs> Real original. So, but you get the point, right? And so I've met a lot of you out here that have really just come to Bentonville, and you've made a big transition. And this class is designed to be a soft place for you to land during the transition of moving. And so we would love for you to jump in. It's a practical and biblical encouragement as you work through a book called After the Boxes Are Unpacked. So um, it's our prayer that every woman would get plugged into a small group. The, the closest friends that I have here, those friendships were born out of women's small groups. So it's a really good way to get plugged in, especially if you're new. And then community picnics. 
This is something new that we're setting up for you to participate in. It will be on September the 24th, and we will have five different parks around Bentonville, September 24th at 5 o'clock. And this is designed for you to just grab, pick up some food, bring your lawn chair, and go out to the park that's nearest your home. The purpose of this is just to meet people that live really close to you. Maybe your kids go to school together. Maybe people are even in your neighborhood and you don't know it. So you'll hear more about this in the future, but we just wanted you to put it on your calendar. That's a cool connection opportunity. Four, four quick things for y'all. Uh, Discover Fellowship. If you are new and you would like to go through Discover, we recommend that as your first best step at Fellowship. Literally, you could stand up and walk over there. Go like now. There, go there now. is room. So um, no shame in that. Uh, and so you're welcome to do that right now. Spectra, um, we have artists at Fellowship that have created art to go along with the Philippian series. And if you look at the art and you go, I wonder what... The story is, good news, uh, the artists are out there after the service, so you can speak with the artist about the Philippians art. Uh, Philippians study books for sale after uh, service, we're starting Philippians today, it's excellent. I was at the earlier service, y'all are in for a treat. Um, and then Fellowship Worship, a new original song that I actually wrote, I'll let Seth share about that. And I'll just say it again in this service. Don't believe a word that comes out of his mouth. Uh, yes, Fellowship Worship did write uh, a song for Philippians series. Uh, a couple of our worship leaders at our Fayetteville uh, campus wrote this song that we're about to share with you. And uh, just to set it up real briefly, um, the Apostle Paul, who is the author of the book to the Philippians, uh, in all of his writings, he has this theme of in Christ, us being in Christ and Christ in us. Um, the Apostle John, in his book, he talks a lot about abiding, abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. Jesus himself talks about the kingdom of God and how he invites us to, to repent, to turn and walk into the kingdom with him, to live life with him, learning to be like him. And just a few weeks ago, we talked about that, about this with God life, what it looks like to live with a knowledge of God being with us and a desire for us more and more to be with him in life. And all of those different pictures, they all point to this one truth, this one reality, and it's the, the abundant life that Jesus offers. It's life with God. It's life in Christ. It's life in the kingdom with Jesus. It's the abiding life. And only that life satisfies us. That is the truth. Because if you've tasted other things, you know. Only Jesus satisfies. And so that's the heart behind this song. We're going to sing it over you this morning. And as you pick it up, we invite you to sing along with us. Uh, it has been recorded, and it's out on all your streaming services so that it can act as an aid for you throughout this series. Uh, to, to, you can go back and, and worship along with it. And so let me pray over us, and then we'll jump into sharing the song with you. Well, Jesus, thank you for your invitation. Your invitation to come and, and die to all the other things 
that we would want to make first in our lives because you know well that they won't satisfy in the end. So God, help us to see life with you as the good life. God, thank you that you are in us. God, help us to put you first and to live life with you. And God, I thank you for this time right now. And I pray that you would capture our attention, that we may see you for who you are and respond accordingly.
inside of you I found nothing of measure But no more I thirst No more I see I found your mercy is all that I need I've tasted this world Tried every pleasure Outside of you I find nothing of measure But no more I thirst
standing for the reading of the word of the Lord today. Our passage today is found in Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father God, as our bodies are standing at attention, we want to ask, would you hold and keep our minds and our hearts and our spirits attentive as well? We acknowledge that your word is light. Your light is life. And here are people who want both your life and your light. And tune our ears and tune our minds and tune our hearts. We're listening. We're grateful for your presence and the power of your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And good morning. So good to be with you this, this morning. I don't know about you. I think I do know about you. I was going to say, I hate blocked, uh, blocked goals, and my hunch is you do as well, because there's a reason none of us call them blocked goals. We call them things like interruptions. We call them things like curveballs in life, or detours, or, or wrong turns. But blocked goals are frustrating, and frustration in life, well, that just makes us angry. In fact, that's usually the source of much of our anger. Now, knowing that that's true about all of us, listen to this story of someone we know and love well who was walking through a major blocked goal. It had to feel frustrating. His name is the Apostle Paul. He was called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and he's now on his second missionary journey, and his intention is to keep pushing the gospel deeper into the continent of Asia. And he's pushing and pushing and pushing, and yet Acts chapter 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit, the same one who called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles and preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit was preventing him from going deeper into Asia. So we don't know what this blocked goal was about. We don't know if it was health issues. We don't know if there were logistic and travel problems. We just know who was behind it. And the who that's behind it is the sovereign and wise God. So this, this roadblock, it was not going to be overcome. So Paul finds himself in the little city of Troas, 
which is a border town between Europe and Asia, and he's stuck. He wants to go right into Asia, and he can't continue. And at that time, in this place of stuck, this place that's a holding pattern, God is doing big work that he cannot see. Acts chapter 16 is where we get the story. It begins in verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Macedonia is Greece, and Greece is southern Europe. Now, Paul, remember, has been trying to take a right turn into deeper into Asia, but now here, through a vision, he senses that God is calling him instead to take a left turn, go across the Aegean Sea, and enter the continent of Europe. There are no known Christians on the continent of Europe yet. Now, let's not miss something small that I actually think is pretty huge in our day. Notice what verse 9 says. He has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. This man does not tell him what kind of help they need. Paul and his traveling companion here at the time is Silas. They conclude that they need to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel to them. Question, do you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most helpful help we can give someone. Because I live in a city that's filled with needs and needs help. There's relational need, there's spiritual need, there's emotional need, there's physical need, there's financial need. But do we believe that what men and women need most is to know God through his son, Jesus Christ? What people need most is to have their sin and death conquered. And there is only one someone who can do that, Jesus Christ. The story continues. Verse 12, they arrive over the sea and into the continent. And it tells us that from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Why would he go there? Well, his pattern was usually to go and find a synagogue to teach in. But Philippi had so few Jewish citizens that there wasn't even a synagogue established. So he knew that they would probably be gathered at least for some personal prayer by the river. He said, we went out to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, so a convert to Judaism. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. They land in Europe on the coast and they travel 10 miles inland. Uh, Paul already tells us why he chose to bypass some of the small towns and go inland to, to Philippi. It's a leading city, and it was a, a Roman colony. So think in your mind, this was mini Rome in the southern part of Greece. In fact, 
If you go to that ancient city of Philippi now, you can see the digs and you will see a model of ancient Philippi on a sign outside of the digs that looks exactly like this. Philippi centered right on something called the Ignatia Way. See that thing that looks a little bit like I-40 that cuts right through town east and west? The Ignatia Way was the travel route between connecting trade between Europe and Asia. Pause. Where did Paul want to go originally? Asia. And God, his plan was so much bigger. He wanted to reach Europe and Asia, so he sends Paul to a, a little town in between that becomes the business and cultural hub that sits there at the crossroads. This Roman colony had grown into this economic hub where people moved for business opportunity. It became a cultural hub where quality of life just was perceived to be better, and people chose to relocate there. Anybody else picking up where I might be going with this at this moment, especially if you're in real estate? Yeah, 34 people a day find themselves wanting to move here because it's a great place to retire or quality of life or business opportunity. But for Paul, he meets a group of women, and Lydia becomes the first Christian in Europe Lydia is a businesswoman from the city of Thyatira. That is also in Asia. Lydia, well, I think she was a supplier. Uh, she worked maybe for uh, Thyatira Designs. I think she might have been on the sales side of the business because the text tells us she was a dealer in purple cloth. She must have been good at her job because she had a large household and a large house that could be home base for the first church plant in Philippi, first European church. Lydia comes to Philippi for a career move, and God uses that to wonderfully hijack her life and let her find life. And I think we have men and women in this congregation who've said the same. I came to build a resume, and oh, I found Jesus instead. Such a good trade-up. Hopefully your resume is still being built as well. Paul knows that the riverside is a strategic place. Paul knows that the riverside outside of town, because there's no synagogue, would be a place of both relationship and a place where business would be transacted. And in fact, this is Greg and Kim Murta standing at what's now known as Lydia's River outside of the ancient ruins of Philippi. I knew that the Murtises had visited Philippi, and so Wednesday, I texted them and said, hey, could you send me some pictures? And they sent me some glorious pictures of the river itself, and I chose to use the tourist picture of them in front of it. And their PS on their email was, don't use the tourist picture. <laughs> but I didn't use that just to kind of poke at them, although that is a little fun. It's the point. I know Greg and Kim Murtis to be a couple who've used their neighborhood and their work to be a place of gospel influence, the riverside of their community here in Bentonville. And Lydia was the same. And that can happen for each one of us as we see our neighborhoods and our workplaces, a riverside where God wants to meet people. You notice how he meets Lydia. Verse 14 tells us, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart, and she responded to Paul's message. So who is the hero of the story here? It's not Paul, it's Jesus. And who is the hero of 
of our story as a gathered church. It's not us. It's not Fellowship Bible Church. It is Jesus. We simply have to be faithful to plant seed, but God is the one who opens up hearts and allows life to come through that. And Lydia's conversion leads to other conversions, meaning her life change actually began to to spawn other life change. And a small group was formed in her house. And that one small group leads to a citywide movement. Now, if you think that sounds like hyperbole, in a second, I'll tell you the story of the rest of Acts 16. But before I do, let me tell you, that shouldn't surprise us in this room. Because we are here because God chose in 1984 to use the first small group of seven couples in a house in Bentonville that became the church plant of Fellowship Bible Church. And it changed the city. It touched the region. It's changing the world. And that's exactly what happened in Philippi as well. And so that the message won't go too long, let me summarize it this way. Lydia's small group multiplies, and as it multiplies, a slave girl who is possessed by a demon, demonic spirit, and she's being used by her masters to tell fortunes and sell fortunes to the city of Philippi. Well, this slave girl gets delivered from demonic oppression and trusts in Jesus Christ, and as a result, profits for her master drops, and their panic increases. So they grab Paul and Silas, and they drag him down before the magistrate. Their words, not mine, Acts chapter 16 says, these two men are disturbing the entire city. The magistrate, I think for political profit, chooses to to kind of coy favor with them, and he has Paul and Silas stripped, beaten, and thrown in prison. That night, Paul and Silas are singing their way through chains, singing praises to God. God miraculously delivers them from their bondage. The Philippian jailer who's assigned to them, he sees the miracle, and his only question is simply this. What must I do to be saved? And he and his whole household come to faith. Now, do you have a mental picture of the very first community group that launched the church at Philippi? Lydia, a higher class, respectable businesswoman, Jewish proper convert, a slave girl at the totally other end of the economic spectrum, a Philippian jailer, I'll think, I think most likely a Roman, Lydia would have seen as barbarian. This becomes the group that is the first community group. Folks, if they had a booth in the foyer that said sign up for a community group, no one would pick each other. They would be texting Abel after the first community group and saying, hey, this isn't a good fit for us. And they might even kind of use that coy little, you know, that night of the week won't work for us. And what they're really saying is we would never do life with these people. We're just too different. And out of this diverse group of Christians, God launches, and I'm not exaggerating here, a worldwide movement for the gospel. Because from southern Europe, the gospel keeps penetrating and going north until it jumps to a little island that we now know as the British Isles. Until hundreds of years later, it crosses an ocean and then works its way across a continent. Somehow crosses a Mississippi River and finds its way 
here. Out of this diverse group of Christians living in unified passion for Jesus Christ and his gospel. Philippi was a strategic place for the gospel. But not only more than that, the Philippian church was a generous people unified for the gospel. Even 10 years after this church was planted, Paul finds himself in a Roman prison. In this prison situation, it was uh, better than the dungeon that he would have been in in Philippi, but worse than our modern-day house arrest. So when you think of house arrest for Paul, don't think of ankle bracelets and people running to Walmart and things like that. Uh, this is someone who is confined to a house, but he can still receive visitors, but he has to provide for all of his own needs. The Philippian church knows that, and four times they send a gift to Paul to sustain him in his imprisonment in Rome. Paul writes a thank you letter back to them. This is that thank you letter. And when we open it, you will see a very personal, very dear, very tender letter to a people that he loves. They drew encouragement from it, so much so that when they gathered, they continued to read that letter publicly. Isn't that interesting? As though it was fresh word from God every time they gathered. They didn't find themselves saying, what is the next series, I wonder, that's coming? But, oh, God is speaking again. How do I tune my ears in next to what he is still saying? And they drew deep encouragement from that. Are you ready to open the letter and draw deep encouragement as well? I am. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very typical greeting in Paul's day. It always begins with a who it's to, who it's from, and a blessing. But it's got some tweaks and twists. The blessing typically in Paul's day would have just said peace to you. Shalom. I wish you well. Paul knew where peace comes from. Without the grace of God being experienced first, there is no real peace. So he always says grace and peace. And both of those come from God. In fact, he knows that the essence of the gospel is that we experience the grace of God first, and then we can have a peace with God and peace with one another. Even in the nouns he uses in this greeting, we see a twist and a change. He could have just said, it's from Paul and Timothy. It's to the Philippian church. But instead, he says, from Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the holy people in this church. Those two nouns are a big deal for us because they shape our identity as well. Look at the noun for the church, holy people. It translates saints. In fact, if you use other trans English translations, you'll say to the saints in Philippi. Saint is not a title for a super spiritual handful. Saint is the identity of every believer in Jesus Christ. In the Catholic tradition that I grew up in as a boy, the Catholic Church held that there are about 10,000 saints. And to be a saint, 
two things had to happen to you. Number one, you had to live an exceptionally virtuous life. And number two, you had to be dead. But here, Paul says to every believer, living or dead, who is in Christ Jesus, notice the preposition there, they are saints. Because saint means to be set apart. And we have been set apart in Christ Jesus. Look at the noun for Paul and for Timothy there. He says servants in the NIV. If you're reading the New American Standard, it would say bond slaves. The word there is a Greek word doulos that simply means slave. Now, interesting, Paul had several words that he could have chosen that meant servants. He could have chosen the Greek word that meant a hired servant, a paid person. But he chooses purposely to use the word doulos, a slave. In fact, he not only identifies himself by this noun, Peter introduces himself when he writes as a bond slave of Jesus Christ. The apostle John introduces himself as a bond slave of Jesus Christ, meaning that they saw themselves as willingly and wholly devoted to Jesus as their master. See, Adulos was a lifelong, wholly devoted person, the one who had rights to their life. When you put that in context of Jesus Christ, that's not an imprisoning thing. That is a freeing, liberating, empowering thing because you will be shackled to someone in this world. Do you want to be shackled continues to sin and self? Or to Jesus, the one who truly liberates us and moves us to life? A doulos, they say. I'm getting to know a pastor from another church here in town. This summer, I was meeting with he and another pastor from a third church to talk about some ministry things in this part of town. It was that incredibly hot early August days that we were having, and our meeting was outside after the lunchtime, and he was wearing a short sleeve shirt, and he kind of went like this with his hands, and I noticed that on the inside of his bicep, he had a tattoo that in Greek letters said doulos, and I found myself going, that's cool. I mean, it looked good, and I loved the spirit behind it, and then I thought, I want one. Then I thought, yeah, he does CrossFit. My do loss would be pretty saggy. I think I'll just embrace the identity and won't go ahead and put it on my body. But do you see the identifying feature of Jesus Christ for everyone who calls Jesus both Savior and Lord? We consider calling ourselves saint or slave an honor, not because we have this martyr complex, but it's because we have some sanity. We know how good he is and where he's leading us and the kind of freedom he's leading us to. And a saint, well, a saint means that we are set apart by God. And a bond slave means that we are set apart to God. And you join both of those together, and that's our core identity. That is the seed of the gospel. So when you hear or you yourself say, Jesus is my Savior and Lord, you have simply said, and therefore, I am a saint and a bond slave. And I'm much happier because of it. Because I know where he's leading me. And I wholly devote my life to him. 
This passage starts with nouns, saints and slaves. The passage we'll look at this morning ends with verbs, which kind of makes sense because the, uh, the seed of our identity, the gospel seed, always leads to some kind of godly fruit. A seed's only been planted for the purpose of fruit. Look at the fruit in verse 8 through 11 at the end of this passage. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See the tenderness in Paul? These are dear friends to him. In fact, this week, can I encourage you to take 20 minutes to read Philippians straight through, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow morning before work or school, and you will see an affection that drips through the letter. You will see no rebuke. You will see uh, no chastisement or no correction for any specific sin. Instead, you'll see an affection that he has for them. Yes, he knows that they're struggling. They're a normal church. They're battling difficulties in a city that's very hostile to the gospel. And they're battling unity issues. We understand that. That's normal for the church. But in general, when you see this, there's affection in Paul's voice. And that affection leads to prayer. And that makes sense. Because what you love, you pray for. And notice how Paul prays for them. And what he prays. Look at verse 9 through 11. The simplicity of that prayer. This is my prayer, colon. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Have you ever been in that community group where you ask everybody in the group to go around and share a one-sentence prayer? And then you have that person who prays a really long sentence. If that happens to you, you might have Paul in your community group. That's a one-sentence prayer. It's kind of such a long sentence, you get lost in it, right? Just even the amount of prepositions in there and tracking them, it's like, yeah, what's he praying for again? It sounds like good stuff, but I wonder how to get a handle on it. It's a packed one-sentence prayer. What Paul's been saying before this is, listen, Philippians, I think about you a lot because I love you a lot. And because I love you a lot, I pray for you a lot. And this one thing is what I pray for you. See the heart of it? It says that your love would keep growing in knowledge and depth of insight. Lock into that. He's praying for discerning love. He wants their hearts to stay tender and their minds or their vision to stay keen. Uh, he's talking about discernment here. Uh, discernment has, is not just praying to, for a knowledge that sees lots of stuff. Discernment is being able to see through all the stuff of life and find what's really best. 
And so he's praying for discerning love. In my opinion, the late Rich Mullins is still one of the finest songwriters who lives. And he had a line from a song he sang that said, there's a love that goes much deeper than mere sentiment. And folks, that's radical in our day. Because I live in a world that tells me that love equals sentiment. That if I feel strongly about someone, then I must love them a lot. And if I'm now feeling less strongly about them, I must be falling out of love. That is a lousy definition of love. How do we know? Because it's not the definition of love God uses. And God gets to set the definition of love because the Scriptures tell us God is love. And so the way God defines love is by saying, love is, is seeking what's best for someone regardless of cost to yourself. Love what's, wants what's best for you regardless of what it costs me. How do we know that's real love? John 3.16, quoted during Ruby's baptism. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we might have life. He wanted what was best for us, life with him, so he gave what was most precious to him, his only son. 1 John 3.16, uh, this is how we know what love is that Jesus Christ laid down his life for others, and we ought to do the same. Paul is praying for a discerning love that would know what's best. We'd be able to see what someone needs most. And then we would pursue that regardless of the cost. The cost. This is the lifestyle that Paul's praying, the fruit that he wants to see in their lives. A discerning love that grows enough to see and pursue what is best. And what is best? Well, right living that comes from Jesus and brings glory to him. So grandparents, if you have grandkids and you pray for them, this should be on the top of that list. Parents, if you pray for your kids, this should be the model prayer for ours. Yes, we know that our family members are going to go through lots of highs and lows of life. And we're tempted to pray only for their circumstances. But Paul says, can you see through that enough to discern what's best? And pray that their love would grow in that kind of discernment. That they would become more like Jesus. For those who are in our community group, the community group leaders who pray for their members, for cell group leaders who pray for junior high or high school students, for disciple makers, who are praying for those who are going to be in their groups this year. This is the model of what we need most, the fruit of love and wisdom. And we know that good fruit comes from good seed. Now, don't forget the flow of the passage. It started with good seed of our identity in the gospel, right? And now it leads to good fruit of a godly lifestyle. And here's the thing. Anybody who's planted something knows good seed and Good fruit need one more thing. They have to have good soil in which to grow. And that's in the middle, the heart of this passage. Verse 3 through 7. Verse 3 through 7. 
I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Think about what Rome could conquer. Rome could come in and conquer your city and declare you a colony. Rome could bind you together, slave and free, men and women, rich and poor, uh, publican and priest, uh, uh, merchant. And they could say, you are now going to be united and you're going to be one. But Rome couldn't change your heart. Rome couldn't get you to come to each other's house to break bread with one another, to give up personal possessions so that one another would do well. Rome couldn't make you a family. Only King Jesus could do that. And he does that by giving each one of us the same common identity seed of the gospel and then putting us in a common family, a new community called the church. Once you notice that three times in just this passage alone, you'll see the phrase, all of you, kind of highlighted up there. It actually comes up again in verse 8 as well. So four times he uses the phrase, all of you. But don't forget, he's writing the church at Philippi, and they're in southern Greece. And we know they're in southern Greece because the way this would be translated in English is the word, y'all. Actually, better it'd be all y'alls. He understands that there is a, a collective that he's talking to, a unit, a community. And that's the point. We need that same new community if we are going to flourish spiritually. Yes, our new identity comes from faith in Jesus Christ. That's the seed. And yes, that seed produces discerning love. That's the fruit. But good seed and good fruit must have good soil. And that good soil is called the church. And that's what makes Paul smile. Because when he sees the Philippians, he sees good seed producing good fruit in the good soil of a local church planted and thriving. And so two times he uses the phrase, he says, I'm grateful for y'all. Number one, because of your partnership in the gospel. And then number two, he says, because you share in God's grace. That word partnership and share, it's the same Greek word, koinonia, and we named our church after it. It's translated fellowship. This is our namesake. We are a church not just because we like each other. I hope we like each other. And not just because we chose to join and be part of this. I hope you chose to join and be part of this. But that's not why. We're a new community. No, this new community is being held together by someone much bigger than us, Jesus, and by something much better than us, the gospel. And that seed of commonality, that's what binds us together in the family of God. We choose to do life together because we've already been placed in the same family, the same new community by Jesus and for his gospel. 
This is the soil in which we grow. You see, Paul is saying here, there's good seed of your identity. There's good fruit of a lifestyle. It's growing in good soil called the new community of the church. And he says, as a result, I live with a lot of good confidence. And you see that in that classic verse that sometimes people will have on a coffee mug or on a sign, or maybe you use it in a bookmark in your Bible. It's that verse in verse 6 that says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who's the he? Tell me. Yeah, don't be timid. It's not like a trick question. It is Jesus. He's doing something. Paul says, listen, I really like you, Philippians, but I'm not banking all my confidence on your swellness, okay, and that you're likable. I'm banking my confidence on the fact that he is continuing to do a work of grace among you. And he will keep doing that until he comes back and takes us all home to be with him. That's comforting, that's securing, and that's sobering, isn't it? Because now we look up as a new community We appreciate not just a common Savior and a common gospel, but as a result now, we appreciate one another and continue growing towards that. Paul has a bigger view of grace, and Paul has a bigger view of gospel than just the human church. And he knows that bigger view holds us together, which is why Paul doesn't doesn't sound like a football coach at halftime. He's not looking at the team at halftime who has a, a lead and saying, listen, you've had a good first half, but don't blow it in the second half. He's not the sales manager who says, decent third quarter for you, but let's not let it slide in the fourth quarter, shall we? No, no, no. His tone is very different. He said, God has been doing a work of grace among you. That identity is leading to some fruit, and you're planted in good soil, so I have every reason to believe that you're going to keep going on this path until Jesus takes us all home. I'm very confident of that. See, Paul is both grateful for their fellowship in Jesus' grace, but at the same time, he's confident in the future work of Jesus' grace. He knows that grace is what got the church going, and grace is what will keep the church going. Men and women, we live and breathe and move because of the grace of God working in and through us. It is the soil in which we grow. Faith and grace is how we came to Christ. Faith and grace is how we grow in Christ. And faith and grace is how we will get home in Christ. There's another way to say the phrase faith and grace. And it's exactly the phrase that Paul uses participation in the gospel. Faith is how we participate with God. Obedient faith is how we participate with what God's doing. The gospel is his grace on display. We participate with the gospel, and a new fruit comes out of that new identity, and we stay rooted in a good soil, which is why every time believers gather, they willingly and joyfully celebrate one of the ordinances of Jesus called communion. Communion for them is not a short, quick moment in the worship service. Communion is a common declaration of our faith in 
grace that we believe we've been joined together in Christ and are growing by His grace and through His grace. And so this morning we'll continue in worship. Communion will be served to us. Would you take and hold the elements until everyone's been served? And then we will eat and drink together. Let's continue our worship in faith and grace of participating in the gospel.
Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us of our sin. We are in need of a Savior. Church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a Savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
participation in the gospel. The other word you often see in that is the word partake. Isn't it interesting? Because when we hold communion elements, often we're led in a service saying, hey, partake of the elements. This communion observance is just one celebration of how we continue to participate in a gospel of grace. Broken body of Christ represented by bread, shed blood of Christ represented by this cup. Eat and drink. Join me in the benediction and we will pray Paul's prayer over one another. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. If we can pray with you and over you and for you this morning, Dick and Connie Nervig are part of our prayer team and we'll be right in front of the baptistry. We would have it would be a joy to do that. And if we can connect with you, please join us in the community booth and let us know how we can help your next step be part of this church family. We love you, church. We'll see you next week.